You're listening to The Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your host, Connor Halley. Hello, Oilers fans, and thank you once again for tuning in to The Other Connor Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Connor Halley. Big thank you to our sponsor, DraftKings. March's biggest tournament is finally here. We do not know who will be cutting down the nets at the end, but we do know there will be no shortage of madness. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new customers in the center of the action. Bet $4 on an underdog and win $256 if they win. It's that simple. Turning $4 into $256 is 64 to 1 odds. Every dollar you bet could turn into $64. Pick one of the many select college basketball underdogs for your shot at winning $256. And all it takes is a $4 bet. There's no better way to put your college basketball knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with the DraftKings Sportsbook. And don't worry if college basketball isn't for you. DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions on golf, hockey, and so much more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $4 into $256. If the underdog of your choosing pulls off the upset, that's code THPN to turn $4 into $256 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. And speaking of the madness, the Edmonton Oilers' march was up and down a little bit to begin with. Of course, it started off with the two losses to the Toronto Maple Leafs early on, uh, Saturday night against the Calgary Flames. They bounce back, pick up that 3-2 win. I try not to be critical of wins, especially when you're coming off three straight disappointing losses. And then a Monday night, the Oilers get past the Ottawa Senators. Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and Kyler Yamamoto put together as the team's top line. They go out there, score a couple goals. Leon Dreisaitl with his 11th of the year. That was the eventual game winner for the Edmonton Oilers, taking on Joey Decord, a goalie for the Ottawa Senators, who I would describe as inexperienced. Maybe a little discouraging that they weren't able to put a few more past him, but like I said, I don't like to be too critical of the wins. They got the job done, and now the two teams meet again on Wednesday. They'll also meet on Friday before the Edmonton Oilers take on the Vancouver Canucks on Saturday. I expect Mike Smith to get the majority of those starts. Miko Koskinen looked shaky on Monday night. The first goal, terrible, a backbreaker, and fortunate for him, he did play a little bit better. The team around him got him back into the game, but... The Edmonton Oilers are just going to need better goaltending if they want any shot at taking a run here later on this season. But the Oilers win, two-game winning streak, back-to-back 3-2 wins. We're going to discuss that with Tyler Uremchuk. He, of course, a part of the lowdown with Low Tide, which you can hear Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. until noon on TSN 1260. You can also get his writing and podcast work at Oilers Nation. We're also going to talk to former Edmonton Oiler Sean Bell. Uh, he, of course... Played five games with the Oilers, spent some time in various markets around the NHL, and was a part of maybe the greatest world junior team we've ever seen. The 2005 Team Canada team, Ryan Getzlaff, Patrice Bergeron, some guy named Sidney Crosby, Shea Weber, an absolute loaded team. So we're going to talk to Sean about his time on that team, of course, playing for the Oilers, born and raised in the City of Champions. So uh, we'll talk to him just about how cool it was to wear the Edmonton Oilers sweater and represent his hometown team. And as we do on every Tuesday edition of the Other Connor Podcast, we will bring in Jeffrey Ulrich. He, of course, writes at DraftKingsNation.com. You can also give him a follow on Twitter at the Fantasy Grind. But let's start it all off 
talking about those Edmonton Oilers and uh, recapping their win on Monday night against the Ottawa Senators with Tyler Yeremchuk of TSN 1260 and Oilers Nation. Tyler, you were down there at Rogers Place on a Monday night. On a scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you in Oilers goaltender Miko Koskinen? Oh, Okay, let's do uh, let's do Miko Koskinen in the first forty minutes tonight, and I will say that I was two out of ten confident in Miko Koskinen. Miko Koskinen in the third period, I got a little bit more confident in because he was just he looked more solid when he was stopping pucks in the first forty minutes. I don't know if it was just me, but it seemed like every shot that hit him, he was either doing the old shoulder check, like he's about to switch lanes, or he was looking down into his pads being like, where is it? Where is it? He wasn't holding on to anything. He wasn't playing like a solid goaltender. In the third, I actually thought he started to make some more confident saves. He was pushing pucks into the corner. He, he looked like he was you know, going to stop the puck and believed he could stop it. In the first 40, he didn't look confident in himself, never mind the confidence I felt in him. So that first goal, it's early on, it's ugly. Was there just a collective groan from the, all the TSN 1260 people in attendance tonight? A little bit, yeah. Like It goes in and you kind of all look at each other being like, you know, when the puck's in the corner like that, you're kind of half paying attention, and then it all of a sudden they're celebrating, you kind of, like, snap out of it and go, like, how did that go in? And I turned to Matt Iwanek, who sits at the table next to me, because we're all in our own sort of spots up there, and I just turned to him, I said, that cannot go in. Like, there is no way you can give that up against the Ottawa Senators that early on in the game. It was inexcusable, and, you know, credit to Miko, he bounced back, and he made some big saves for them down the stretch there, but... That first goal, it's becoming an ugly, ugly trend for Miko Koskinen that he lets in a softie in the first 10 minutes. So I want to ask you, I mean, you've got the Senators th- twice this week, and then on Saturday, the Vancouver Canucks. If you're Dave Tippett, uh, how do you think you handle the, the starting goaltenders for the rest of the week here? Well, I'll tell you what. My dream scenario would have been that I could start Smith on Wednesday, and on Friday I could play Alex Stalock. But I don't think Stalock's going to be cleared from his quarantine yet. So that's not going to be an option. So I think I go Mike. Oh, it's it's hard to not go back to a guy though after he won and only gave up two goals. But I think I would go back to Mike Smith on Wednesday, and then I would take the better of the two, and I'd save him for Saturday against Vancouver. So I would basically, if Mike Smith gives up three goals, I go back to him Friday, then I go Miko on Saturday. But really, right now, and I said this today to Low Tide. Does it even matter? Like, each guy, in my opinion, is just as capable of having a stinker, and each guy is just as, cap- just as capable of stealing you one, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Mike Smith, he's so up and down. When he's on, he's great, but let's not act like he's the answer long-term. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of funny. You, you go on social media, you think everything's in trouble, and I, <laughs> you just very elegantly said, I mean, he gave up two goals and you won. Uh, that's pretty much all you can ask for, especially when you have the offense that the Oilers have uh, going up against a young team in Ottawa. You got to expect that they can score more than two goals. So maybe we got to take a step back and breathe a little bit, despite the, the first goal and maybe the uneasiness with Miko Koskinen to start this game. I had Hernan Salas and Tom Gazzola on the podcast uh, last episode, and we actually got on the topic of Alex Stalock and when he is inevitably uh, able to play for the Edmonton Oilers. Do you think there's any chance that he slides into that backup role behind Mike Smith? Because both guys thought that he could supplant uh, Miko Koskinen's spot. Oh, 100% I think he can. I mean, look at the guy's numbers. Yes, he's you know 33 years old and he's only played in 150 games. But he has like a career 909 save percentage and a goals against average that's pretty significantly under three. When you consider those numbers, when you consider how well he played with the Minnesota Wild when he was healthy last year, 
I don't see a reason to think he can't come in and push these guys. Like, the thing is, too, Mike Smith's a free agent at the end of this year. Miko Koskinen, I think they're going to try find a way to get rid of him to bring in a significant upgrade. Alex Stalock has one more year at league minimum. I think it would be good business and a smart organizational move to really see what you have in Alex Stalock because if he shows he's a competent goalie and the health issues are behind him, if you have a good backup goalie or a good 1B goaltender in Alex Stalock, which again, he's proven he can be throughout his career so far, you get him for league minimum. For a team that has some important boxes to check this offseason, like Kyler Yamamoto, like Ryan Nugent Hopkins, like the situation on the blue line, to be able to have that backup goalie spot crossed off for league minimum would be huge. So I think just as an organization, the Oilers need to see what they have in Alex Stalock before the end of the regular season here. Uh, looking up front here, I know a lot of people were excited going into this game with the Dreisaitl, McDavid, Yamamoto line. Uh, what did you make of their play tonight? Yeah, I thought they were good. Um, that Dreisaitl empty net miss, I'm sure like <laughs> a lot of people out there, that cost me some money because I had Dreisaitl over a point and a half and Oilers on the puck line. So yeah. I'm a little bit annoyed with him from that perspective. But other than that, I thought they played good. They maybe weren't as dominant as I thought they might be, but there were certainly some stretches there, like that one in the second period where it felt like Ottawa didn't get the puck out of their end for like three minutes, and McDavid and Dreisaitl were just toying with them. So I, I have mixed reviews on them. At points, they looked dominant. At points, it looked like they were out there sort of, you know, just, can I say half-assing it since this is a podcast and we're not on the radio? I think I can. You know, it looked like they were kind of just half-assing it and slowly slapping the puck around and trying a little bit too much fancy stuff. And I thought towards the third period there, like the Senators started waking up and picking off some of those passes. So some dominant stretches, but overall, I didn't absolutely love what I got from that trio. You can say half-assed all you want. Like I know Apple puts the E beside my podcast, gives me the <laughs> yeah. So I, like I'm trying to earn it. So I encourage uh, as much as you want to swear, feel free. I'm definitely not going to stop you or clean it up. You know, I <laughs> I want it's got to be like 18 to listen to this one. I think, anyways. Uh, just oh, yeah. with that top line, I know it was the TSN 1260 poll question. Shout out to TSN 1260 here. Uh, how long do you think they stay together? Um. I don't think this can be a long-term thing. I think if you want to go on a long playoff drive, and when you start going up against teams in the postseason, like Toronto, like Winnipeg, I mean, Winnipeg's defense is a little bit weak, so bad example there, but like Montreal, these teams who can, you know, have a top four that that have shut down D-men on there, I think you need to be really careful not to load up one line. So, you know... Is it a long-term solution? No. Am I okay with Dave Tippett going to it once in a while when his team needs a spark? Absolutely. It's sort of that break glass in case of in case of emergency line that he can go to once in a while. I think you need to find out a way to really balance out the top six here and make sure you can get two scoring lines. But for the time being, against an opponent like Ottawa, and they even got Vancouver coming up, I think you can keep this trio together for at least the next week. I want to ask you about that second line. It'll be kind of a two-part question here. Firstly, how did you think Ryan Nugent Hopkins did going back to center after playing uh, the majority of this season on the wing? And second part of it would just be, how did you think that line performed in their uh, first time together? I mean, it's been almost a calendar year. I mean, more than that, since we've seen Ryan Nugent Hopkins down the middle, right? Because when you go back to when he was put on that dry settle Yamamoto, and they were on that line with those two, like that was pretty much the last we saw of him playing center. So 
I thought he was okay. I wasn't expecting him to be a world beater. I think there is a bit of an adjustment phase you need to go through there. But I don't know. I, I think there, there's the potential for him and Yesipul Yarvi to be, to be an interesting duo, in my opinion. you got McDavid, who's sort of that defensive conscience who – or sorry, Nugent Hopkins, who's sort of that defensive conscience, who you know can be the first guy back in the defensive zone, and you have Paul Yarvi, who's just this big body who'll go to the net. He has a good shot. He knows how to use his size now. And Nugent Hopkins is more of a perimeter player, so I think there's an interesting dynamic with having the two of them on the ice. And again, if I'm Tippett, I let it go for this whole Ottawa series, keeping this top six the exact same, just to see if some chemistry starts to form. Yeah, and I, I like that idea. Just just see how it goes. I mean, if you're going to try it against any team in the North Division, I think we probably agree Ottawa is the one you can try and do it yeah. for. Maybe part of the reason uh, the top line's half-assing it. Probably not something you want to see go on for yeah. too much longer, but uh, I'm sure that might creep in just a little bit. Uh, was that the best game we've seen from Kyle Turris all year? Oh, absolutely. I mean, even before he had the assist, I kind of thought it was. He made a play early in the game where he made a great cross-ice pass that almost resulted in a goal. He made another great pass in that opening frame. It was basically his first two shifts of the game were really, really solid. And then after that, there's the pass to Dreisaitl. He almost had Jujar Kara for a backdoor tap-in in the third period as well. I thought he was moving better. I think just maybe the confidence got him going a little bit. Absolutely, without a doubt in my mind, the best game we've seen from Turris. And hopefully it's a sign of things to come. Get more confident on the wing. Feel like you're getting your game back. And maybe they can give him another look down the middle. Like, what is the bare minimum you need to see from Kyle Turris for you to say, okay, that was a, a productive game for him? I need to see what he did tonight more often than not. Like, he doesn't need to do that every single game. But if he can make a couple of smart passes, create a few scoring chances, it doesn't always need to result in a goal or him getting on the score sheet. But just go out there. Don't be a total train wreck in your own end and push the pace in the offensive zone and get some scoring chances. Because you know what? If every game you're helping create two or three offensive scoring chances, over time, that's going to work out to some good secondary scoring. So I will say that as long as we're seeing what we saw tonight, more than 50% of the time, I'll be happy with what I'm getting from Kyle Turris. Tyler Remchuk joining us here on the Other Connor Podcast as the Oilers knocked off the Sens 3-2 Monday evening. Uh, Tyler, what did you think about Jujar Kara in that one? Um, a little bit up and down. Like That was a, kind of a bit of a vanilla game. He took that penalty on Stutzla. He did have the fight, which you always love to see. Love to see a good scrap. Um, but aside from that, a couple nice looks in the offensive zone. But I, I don't know. There was nothing that really stood out in my game for Carrot. Did anything stand out to you? I mean, I, I like that he didn't have to back down to Gabranson there. Good to see him yeah. take him on. I uh, don't know if you necessarily need to be fighting after that, but uh, today's NHL. Uh, I, yeah. I, I like that there was a response from him after that first goal. You know, I just he doesn't have yeah. to do it every night, but if he can just to provide a little bit of a spark here and there, uh, I think that's good to see. And- um, final question for you, Tyler, Wait, here. Quickly, quickly on Kara. Oh, go ahead. With him dropping the gloves there, that negated his penalty too, right? Because that forced good Branson to take an instigator. So in a way, him dropping the gloves, I mean, that kind of saved the Oilers a little bit too. So that's a positive he did bring, I suppose. There you go. There you go. We just had to dig into it just a little deeper to find the positives <laughs> from his game. Uh, Tyler, do the Oilers complete the sweep, picking up victories on Wednesday and Friday night? Oh, man. How hard is it to beat a team like seven times over the span of a month and a half? Like, I just keep going back to that. And yes, this Senators team is not very good. I understand that. But they've given 
pretty much every other team in this division a run for their money and beaten, I think, pretty much every other team in the division except maybe Vancouver at this point. So I just kind of sit there and go, it's a lot to expect the Oilers to win seven straight in total against the Senators. So I'm kind of expecting them to just go to, you know, win one of the next two and maybe they drop the one on Friday because they're looking ahead of it to Vancouver. But, I mean, at the same time, the Oilers are clearly the more skilled team. And if they have the right mindset... I suppose there's really nothing stopping them. Like, if they bring their A game, it doesn't matter what Ottawa does. It honestly does not. If Edmonton has their A-minus game and Ottawa has their A-plus game, Edmonton's still winning that hockey game because they're that much of a better team. So, I mean, it's, it's in their hands, but I do think there's a part of me that still just keeps going back to, like, okay, it's probably a little foolish to be like, I'm sure they can beat them a seventh time in a row. Like, that just sounds crazy to me. Yeah, and I think Gregor had the stat, like, they've only, in the last 20 years, I think, beat a team more than four consecutive times, like, three times, if, if I didn't lose you in the numbers there. Like, it's, it's tough to beat a team that many times in a row, let alone in a, in a single month. Like, it really doesn't right. matter on the teams. And, and you saw the Sens tonight. You've seen them quite a bit this year. Like, despite the lack of talent, they're not going to make it easy on you. And with young guys like that, like, you know, when, when things do get rolling for them and those, uh, you know, the, sort of the, the stars align and all their young players start playing well, then, yeah, like, they're going to be a good team. Remember that when they came back from, like, down 4 or 5-1 to the least? Like, when the ball gets rolling for Ottawa, it gets going. And I think from the Oilers' perspective, the key in these next two nights, especially considering you've now beaten them five times in a row, if you get one early in these games, you've got to think that just absolutely kills a young team. So to look ahead to the next two for you – the starts to these games are going to be a lot more important for the Oilers. I don't think they've won a first period in like four or five straight games. Yeah, yeah, and if, yeah, like you said, that was you just can't have those breakdowns, those sloppy goals. I mean, that that's just got to be a killer for them. And thankfully, they were able to rebound and find a way to get it done tonight. Tyler, thanks a lot for hopping on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, man, always fun anytime. Excellent stuff from Tyler Yaremchuk of TSN 1260. You can hear him Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. until noon with Alan Mitchell on the Lowdown with Low Tide. You can also get his work at Oilers Nation and give him a follow on Twitter at Tyler Yaremchuk. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers 3-2 victory Monday night against the Ottawa Senators. They meet once again on Wednesday and then again on Friday before the Oilers take on the Vancouver Canucks. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. The uh, sweep would be tough, but obviously, like Tyler said, if the Oilers play their best hockey, they win these games. And uh, that's just what they have to go out there and do. And we'll see what happens throughout the week. And now let's bring on someone who used to play for the Edmonton Oilers. He also was a part of the 2005 Canadian World Junior Team, one that will go down as one of the best ever assembled. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Belzy7. Sean Bell joins us. Sean, thank you so much for doing this. How are you doing today? Oh, doing pretty good. It's, uh, the sun was uh, shining, so a pretty uh, pretty nice time here in uh, in Edmonton. Yeah, yeah, we're hopefully getting through the deep cold and heading into the warmer weather. Uh, Sean, uh, we just want to talk about your time with the Edmonton Oilers and a little bit about your career as well. So just start off with, you were born in the city. Did you grow up a big fan of the Oilers? Yeah, I'm born and raised here in the city. Um, I, was, uh, I was definitely a fan of the Oilers. Um, cause I think every kid in the city of Edmonton is a fan of the Oilers, but, um, uh, my, my parents lived in Montreal, so they were fans of the Canadians. So I was kind of, you know, back and forth in the household, but, uh, you know, I always had a, you know, a kind of a soft spot for the Oilers. So we're pretty close in age. Uh, were you a part of kind of the, the tough 
era for the Oilers, uh, struggling through the salary cap, just trying to get that first uh, playoff win, like maybe Dallas Stars and Colorado Avalanche being the big rivalry? Oh, yeah. I remember I remember going to – I was actually going to St. Hilda at that time. Um, and just every day, you know, showing up and people are talking about if, you know, watch the other game and you remember some of the, the classic moments, you know, with, with the one in, in particular against the Stars where Todd Marchant <laughs> is streaking down the, the right wing and then he kind of tucks in into the middle of the ice and he scores and, and you know, everybody's going bananas in the city and it was, it was a pretty cool time to uh, to be a kid. Yeah, I still remember that. I think I was grade four, and our teacher let us have the night off from homework just so we could watch that <laughs> exactly. game. Like, those are the kind of stories that happen in Canada. You get away from homework yep. to watch a hockey game. It was awesome stuff. <laughs> so uh, at a very young age, uh, you go to Tri-City to play for the Americans. Uh, how was that for you going to play so far away at such a young age? Well, it was it was definitely different. I mean, I, I got drafted by Regina. They had their Memorial Cup. And they basically traded every prospect they had so that, um, you know, they could make a run for the Mem Cup. And I ended up in Tri-City and, you know, it was, um, it was different. It was a unique experience because when I got down there, they were basically trying to sort out whether or not they actually wanted to be there. Uh, the owner at the time was, was convinced that the, he wanted to move to, um, Victoria at the time. And, um, I don't think he necessarily put the money that he should have into the team and, um, it, it was a different time for for Tri City. It was, it was four years of um, you know ups and downs and different ownerships and different coaches, and, and it's nice to see that they've kind of righted the ship. And then 2003, you're selected 30th overall by the St. Louis Blues. Uh, give me the story of that draft night. Did you did you head down to Nashville? Yeah, I was in Nashville. I mean, we were we didn't really know where exactly we were going to be. You know, going in the draft, I think it was ranked between 23rd to 40 to 45 or something like that. Um, you know, we it was it was interesting because I know I talked to St. Louis. I ended up down in St. Louis to do um, you know some more testing and, and some more interviews. So I knew that they had a pretty good interest level in me, and um, luckily they called my name. So in the NFL, we always hear you know players talking about they're in the combine and they get these really weird questions from coaches of the various teams and the franchises. Did you go through anything like that? Do you have any weird stories through your interview processes? Well, New Jersey was trying to get us to work out in our suits uh, in front of everybody in their kind of banquet room, so that was pretty weird. Um, I know the day of the draft, I was I met with uh, Washington and they were offering me beer. Um, before, so I mean, those were kind of some of the weird things, but I, I didn't get really asked too many weird questions. <laughs> Did you take the beer? <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a good move. Now, yeah. when you get selected, uh, I, I've had a few former NHLers on the podcast, but none that were taken as high as you were. So you're selected in the first round. Obviously, you go up on stage, you get the pictures. What happens for a first round pick after that? Well, it's about three hours of interviews. Uh, you get to meet uh, the GM. You get to meet the coaches. Um, you sign some cards, sign some hats. It, it's a quite a bit of a long process, actually. Um, the minute you get off the stage, it's, it's like you just get thrown to the wolves, and you know you have to put on the hat, keep the hat on, smile, talk to everybody, and um, and then you end up later in the night at uh, the team hotel and kind of hanging out with them with the other draft picks. 
2004-2005, you got a chance to represent Team Canada at the World Junior Championships. Uh, 2004 in Finland, you guys win the silver medal. You returned to the team in 2005. And the list of players that were on that squad, I mean, Sidney Crosby, Patrice Bergeron, Jeff Carter, Ryan Getzlaff, Corey Perry, Brent Seabrook, Shea Weber. <laughs> when you first were named to that team and, you know, I guess obviously the first couple practices, did you think, holy cow, like, this, this is a gold medal winning team? Well, we never really thought that way, but like we just knew what we wanted to accomplish. We were obviously very disappointed with the the result from the year before. So there was a core group of players that had been together, you know, all through the under 17s, um, kind of those under 16s where we're playing against each other as the provincial teams. Um, so we all knew each other. We all kind of we were pretty tight knit despite playing in so many different um, areas. And we just we had that mentality where we're like, we're not losing this tournament. So it doesn't matter who they throw at us and, and what they do, we're, we're winning. And Sidney Crosby was on that team, and he was still pretty young at that point, but the hype was there. Did you did you think, like, this guy will be that next general, uh, generational talent? Was it easy to tell back then, even? 100%. He, he, well, the first tournament we were in Finland, which was an 04 tournament, he scored a goal that was a short side... Um, it was a short side shot, wrist shot, basically the goal line. And that thing went in and out so fast, and everybody kind of on the bench sat there and looked at each other and like, wow, this kid is a real deal. Um, that kind of really just cemented it for everybody. And uh, then after that, obviously, you make your way to the NHL, and eventually you do play for the Montreal Canadiens. And I'm going to bring this yep. up because you said your parents were both fans of the Canadiens. So how cool is that for you to, to play in Montreal for the Canadiens, a team that your parents openly rooted for? Yeah, that was one of the cooler moments of my career. It was the first home opener I've ever had a chance to be a part of. And, you know, just looking back and thinking back, it was a pretty surreal moment. Um, we all kind of introduced ourselves in French. And then Markov, who was hurt, and I think that was who I got called up for, um, was on the bench. And he grabbed the microphone at the end. And in his Russian accent, he said, his home the Canadians, which basically is we are the Canadians, and the building erupt and it, it like it, I don't even know how to describe it because I still get goosebumps thinking about that. So I mean, we always hear that you know playing in Edmonton's a fishbowl, and we'll we'll get to your time with the Oilers in a minute here. But how, just how much different is it playing in Montreal? Well, it's 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 pretty different. I mean, for the most part, like you can kind of hide a little bit because half the people speak French, um, so you're able to hide that way. But they're they're very passionate. They're you know they're aggressive. They they have the ability to turn on people pretty quickly. But at the same time, they they give you kind of a long rope, and um, you know they kind of let you hang yourself. <laughs> yeah, that that sounds believable. Uh, so then, July thirteenth, two thousand and ten, you do sign with the Edmonton Oilers. How did it all happen? Is that uh, the Oilers reaching out to your agent, or you know, do you, do you let them know you'd be interested in playing at, you know at, back at home? Like, how did it all come to be? Well, actually, a little bit of everything. I, I kind of was looking for a spot that I thought I was going to you know, have a good chance to make it. Um, by that point, I just finished my last season in Montreal. Um, you know, I thought I took a really good step forward in my my development. Um, you know, having some. I guess continuity with an organization. Like my first couple of years, I'd, kind of, I'd cycled through to a couple of different coaches just due to a trade. Um, obviously, one coach getting fired. So, like in my first, by my first 
two years pro, I think I had been with three or four different coaches. Um, so, you know, it makes it really hard to, to develop as a player. Um, so by the time I got to Edmonton, I, I thought I, you know, was pretty close to NHL ready. Um, agent obviously pushed it a little bit and there was some definite interest on the other side and it was just, uh, it, it worked out kind of, you know, a month into free agency. So, I mean, you talk about having all these different coaches, uh, since this is kind of an Oilers based podcast. No surprise really that the team struggled in that decade when they were just, you know, almost cycling through a new coach every year and a half. Yeah, I mean, one of the hardest things for, for a player is to have to listen listen to different voices every single year. You know, every coach has their own dialect, their own ideas. You know, this player is going to play in this position, player X is going to play in another position. And, you know, to constantly have to jump back and forth and, and listen to all these different things and change your style, it's hard for young players to, to develop. And there's no having that continuity is a big thing. So what was it like the first time you get a chance to throw on that Oilers jersey? Just kind of a dream come true, uh, goosebumps, anything like that? Yeah, for me it was it was awesome. I wouldn't trade it for the world. It was my hometown team, you know, playing in front of my friends and family. Um, I, I honestly would have done anything. I would have played with a broken leg if I had to. I mean, it was just... It's something as as a kid from Edmonton, you want to pride yourself in being able to play for your hometown team and and help essentially rake the ship. Like that's where my mind frame was at. When you came to that team, I, I believe that was Taylor Hall, Jordan Eberle's rookie seasons. Uh, yeah, you had some good veteran presence there as well. W- was there belief in that team that hey, like you know, the, the stock's rising here? Yeah, I think everybody was pretty excited with the with the two players that were coming coming in. Um, you could see in practice their skill level, their talent. Um, you know, obviously there was still some pieces with the Oilers at that time that, you know, there was good leadership, but there were some guys that maybe shouldn't have belonged. It, I mean, that's not for me to really say at the end of the day, but um, there was definite hope and there was kind of that light at the end of the tunnel. Now, feel free not to answer this one, but I told uh, Tom Gazzola you were coming on the show today, and his first thing that popped out of his mouth was, ask Belzy about Tom Rennie. <laughs> nope. <laughs> what a guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm going to dodge that one. <laughs> no, that's fine, that's fine. I, I didn't expect you to say anything, but uh, we'll move on. He was the head coach uh, your time with the Oilers. How'd you get the number 45? Was that one you wanted? No, actually... Um... Jeff Lang, I've known him since I was like 17. And when he found out that I was coming to the Oilers, uh, he asked me what number I wanted, and I said 47. Because um, obviously number four was being taken by Taylor Hall, and number seven is retired. Um, those are my two numbers. So I just said, you know what, I'm going to try to blend them together and take 47. And, um, that's the number I actually thought I was going to get coming into into the season. And then when I got there, obviously, I think there was different plans. And um, I think that at the end of the day, they viewed me more as a depth guy, a guy that potentially would be going up and down as opposed to a guy that could make their team. And I ended up with number 45, which is funny because I know that Sam Gagne had ordered a bunch of bags um, for all the guys that he thought was going to make the team. And my bag came with number 47. Jeez. So why would they give you forty five and not forty seven? Like, 
<laughs> yeah, I can't figure that part out. Jeez. Uh, I, I was going to say, the first thing that came to mind there, Marc-Andre Bergeron. Love that guy on the power play. Would have been good to see you in 47. So, unfortunately, uh, your time with the Oilers didn't last too long, and eventually you do get traded away to the Colorado Avalanche. Being traded in the NHL, I mean, how does that go? How did you find out that this was happening? Well, I was down in the minors at the time, and um, a guy that I played with, actually former Oiler, uh, David Oliver, Mm-hmm. Uh, was the GM of the the Lake Erie team and uh, was Colorado. Um, so he actually called me and we talked quite a bit that season, just a, just more in a, a friendship capacity than anything. And I knew it was deadline day. I really didn't think I was going anywhere. But then when he called, I was like, is this guy serious right now? Like, this is a sick joke. And he's just like, we traded for you. And I'm like, oh, okay. And he's like, you've got three hours to get, or basically it was like two hours to get to the airport. So pack your apartment and make sure it's ready to go and we'll take care of the rest. Jeez. I mean, and, and like, what do you do? You know, I mean, obviously you probably have to take a minute or two to just kind of digest it, but is it a, a phone call to the parents to let them know? Or are you talking to teammates? Like, how did, how did you handle it personally? Um, I was a little thrown back by it, to be honest. Like, I thought that... I was in a better position maybe to get another call up. Um, I wasn't honestly expecting, you know, getting traded. I was an assistant captain with the, the minor league team. I was having a pretty good season. Um, so I was actually taken back a little bit by it, but I also knew that, you know, going to a team that David was the GM of was, you know, it was a good opportunity for me. And it was a guy that supported me basically throughout my career. Um, so I, I, the disappointment kind of lasted, you know, for about two minutes, and then I knew I had to make sure that I packed up my whole apartment. I guess it's always nice to know you're going somewhere where you're wanted, right? Like, exactly. There's yeah. a positive side to it. Uh, Sean, just a couple more questions for you. Really appreciate you hopping off the podcast here today. Uh, your time with the Oilers organization, do you have a, a favorite memory that stands out? Yeah, just a dad trip. Uh, I had a really good time with that. Unfortunately, my dad wasn't able to go, but it was... Um, it was a pretty cool moment in my career to be able to be a part of that. Um, you know, taking the, the, the plane obviously down to, to Anaheim and then into Phoenix. So I had a pretty good time with that. And then the other one is just more of a funny moment just with some of my, my dumb friends. But just walking through that, you know, the elevator, that doors that open up and you're walking through that bar area. And I've got a couple of friends that are, are pretty banged up and they're, swearing at me and screaming at me and it's you know you're trying to focus on the game and you, you start just laughing about it because it's like here we go again <laughs> <laughs> oh we have uh i work with jason strudwick and he's got the tails like he'd let horkoff walk out in front of him because he didn't want to get chirped he'd let you know the other guys take it all and he tried to sneak out last that was uh that was uh definitely unique uh, we saw you get some tv time during intermissions on the sportsnet broadcast how was that for you Oh, I had a lot of fun with that. Um, well, the first one, I, I've done a little bit of training with this before because I think Pizzola and myself were supposed to do some stuff with the Oilers TV in the last uh, Oilers playoff run. So I had prepared for it. I kind of knew what was doing, what I was doing, but then obviously it's Sportsnet and you want to be over-prepared. So I left my notes out. So the first question that Gene throws to me, it's a bit of a lob, and then all of a sudden I'm staring at my notes and I just went brain dead. And then, yeah, I just I had to kind of snap back into it. But you know, after that little 
episode. I was it was good. I was pretty comfortable, and it was it was exciting to do. So I mean, and I, I could probably ask other people this, but when you're going to do that, what kind of training do they provide you on site? Well, it's just like you know, doing dry runs. Um, or are you talking more specifically with Sportsnet? Just mostly with Sportsnet, because I know they've had you, uh, Strud, Sean Brown, a few other guys. Like, do you just show up and, you know, I'll, I would assume it's not just like, hey, you're on camera, let's go. Uh, nope, it's pretty much that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I mean, for the most part, between myself, Struds, and Gager, like, we yeah. kind of know what we're doing. Um, so there's, you know, for us, it's a little bit easier, but I think for like Sean Brown, like it was, you know, he was able to get one quick dry run and then right on TV. <laughs> I've loved it. I, I love the insight that you guys bring. Uh, really entertaining. And uh, I guess final question for you now: What's going on with Seven Hockey? Well, Seven Hockey is we're growing. Um, we're getting more and more kids signing up. It's it's a strength and conditioning program along with some on-ice development. So it's it was nice to be able to kind of give back to the hockey community a little bit and make sure that I can help kids kind of achieve their dreams that uh, like I got to. And uh, if anyone wants information, they can check out 7hockey.com, correct? Absolutely. Awesome. Sean, thanks so much for doing this today. Really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we can get you on again down the road. Absolutely. I really appreciate having me on. Great stuff from former Edmonton Oiler, former NHLer, a guy who was a part of one of the greatest world junior teams of all time, that 2005 Canada team that won gold in the United States, Sean Bell. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Bellsy7. And if you want to check out his company, it's 7hockey.com, 7hockey.com. Right now, let's get to Jeffrey Ulrich. Of course, he writes for DraftKings Nation. He joins us on every Tuesday edition of the Other Connor podcast. You can give him a follow on Twitter at the Fantasy Grind. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on again. Oh, glad to have you back on the show. We really do appreciate it. And, uh, we're going to get to the Oilers and, and the NHL in a second here and try to help people out with their daily fantasy sports lineups. But I got to go back to this weekend at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Canadian Corey Connors finishing third on the leaderboard. Is this somebody you should be looking to put some money into going forward? Connors is a really consistent um, player, like for, for daily fantasy purposes, for, for betting. Um, he's turned into one of the, the better like ball strikers in the game. I mean, you, you, from a tee to green perspective, like the stats bear out. He's one of the top 30 players in the world. Now, his putter doesn't always show up, and he doesn't quite have the around-the-green game necessarily that some of the other pros do, but he's a really good player. Uh, like, don't discount him. Uh, this wasn't a one-time thing. He's won on tour before. So, yeah, especially last week, you know, when you get him in events like that, um, you know, obviously it's a regular tour event. It wasn't like a major, but it was only 7,300. He's in the low 7K range on DraftKings. He is a really good investment in those events, absolutely. You know, coming into to the um, the players this week, I mean um, – you know, Connor's still 7,400. He's definitely somebody he can look to. I mean, when he gets the T to green game firing in the irons, he's a very, very uh, good player, and he's becoming more accomplished kind of by the year. So I like Corey Connor. He, to me, he's, he's the best Canadian player right now. And, um, yeah, I, I, you should definitely have him on your radar. You know, maybe not at the majors or anything like that for outright bets, but, I mean, playing him on DraftKings. And at these smaller events, he's a guy who's probably going to break through. For, that's how good his game is. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, uh, whenever it's a Canadian, we're a little bit more focused on it, seeing how he was doing. So very cool to see him finish in the top three. Now, let's get to the NHL. That is why we have you here, of course. And I, I want to pump your tires just a little bit here. Uh, you've made some very solid predictions when it comes to the Edmonton Oilers. And I make these little videos and put them out there on Twitter 
Uh, a couple weeks ago, I showcased where you said Evan Bouchard might be a good pickup, and he scored. Right. Last week, it was Kyler Yamamoto. You mentioned he might be a good pickup. Then on Saturday, he scores a goal. Uh, who is it this week? I mean, the people need to know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Yamamoto was, was well overdue. So, I mean, look, and, and obviously getting a shot on the, the top line now with Dreisaitl and McDavid, we'll see how long that lasts, but I like it. I mean, I think Yamamoto is a very skilled player. He can keep up with those guys. Nice complimentary player, but... I mean, let's go to another guy who is, is a good all-around player in my estimation. I'm glad the others kept him around, Tyler Ennis. Um, he, he's the beneficiary of this, this Yamamoto promotion, so to speak. Uh, he's going to be playing alongside Ryan Nugent-Hopkins, at least for a night. Um, you know, we'll see how long this lasts. Uh, you know, the, the Dave Tippett blender, whatever you want to call it. But um, Ennis is, has proved capable. I mean, he, he, he was on pace for a point per game, kind of, when he was a top six last year, a point last year. I think he can excel in this role. He also has Jesse Pupiarve now uh, on the other side, which is, is a really nice thing for him. You know, Pupiarve can go to the net. He, he, Ennis can kind of act as a bit of a setup man. Um, I like it. Uh, I think Ennis could be a sneaky play this week for DFS. So we're talking Monday night. So for people going forward, let's just assume that top line of McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Kyler Yamamoto stays together. Is this a scenario where Yamamoto's cost might jump up? Yeah, definitely. Uh, th- that's something you should look for. Um, now, obviously, if it doesn't, I mean, you should play him that will. I mean, you know, getting top top line minutes alongside Drysdale McDavid is a dream come true. But even if it goes up a little bit, I mean, this is a player who's at 3,600, I think, the last time we talked. He he could get into the 5K range, and I'd still be interested. Um, like I said, a point-per-game player. That doesn't shoot at the volume of, of some of the other, like, top wingers in the game. That's fine. You know, maybe if he starts, if he does get a price boost above 6K, you might want to like back off a little bit, but absolutely, he he can see his price go up uh, like by a grand or so, and, and he'll still be a good investment just because of the situation he's in and uh, the scores he's playing alongside. Now, how about that second line, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Tyler Ennis, Jesse Puljujarvi? You brought it up. Uh, anyone there who stands out, or is there any questions? I guess going forward, because relatively unknown with uh, what those guys have done in the past. Yeah, it is relatively unknown. It's going to be interesting. I mean, we haven't seen Nugent uh, center for a bit. How's he going to mesh with Pope Arby? At the same time, you know, from a DraftKings perspective, I think most people are going to be saying, well, Drysaddle and McDavid are playing together. I'm just going to stack those two. And that's, that's a fine approach, um, you know, and look for value elsewhere. But there, there's always opportunity to, to do the contrarian thing and, and play the second line here. I mean, Nugent Hopkins, we know, is, is a really skilled player. Um, and, you know, the last time he was at center, he probably didn't have uh, Pope Arby, you know, playing along alongside him at that uh, – the kind of form he's in now so you know the contrarian thing to do here might be to, to try and get grab a piece of this second line I mean Nugent Hopkins still going to play on the power play too obviously we know that so you know maybe you pair like Nugent Hopkins and Popey Arve with Tyson Berry or something like that or maybe you play Ennis with uh with Nugent Hopkins but or maybe just stack that whole line but I I, I those guys are, are really interesting to me in GPPs they're going to be under owned now I think that all the focus is on the Oilers Elsewhere around the NHL, uh, who do you think are some, uh, some maybe some potential sleepers that people should take a look at? Yeah, I, I definitely kind of take keeping more of an eye on lately than the Flyers. Um, you know, they're getting back to full health. I mean, Couturier came back. Like, oh, he's been great. And now they got Konecki back as well, Travis Konecki on the wing. Um, he's, he's been a really solid player for over the last couple seasons, 61 points last year. He's really efficient with his shots, uh, finds the net a lot. And, uh, you know, right now he's well under 6K on DraftKings, playing alongside Kevin Hayes again. We saw those to that pair, just that second line or whatever you want to call it, top six line for points last 
tonight in, in DFS. I, I like the fact they've got him paired. The guy who gets you first-line power play exposure as well. And actually another guy in the Flyers, Shane uh, Gossespierre, I might have brought him up a couple of weeks ago, but I mean, this guy is, again, returning to form. He's shooting the puck on him in the past. Uh, this is a player who's, you know, over 50 point season, really busy with his shot on the power play. It just adds up to a really good fantasy player. So um, the Flyers offer you, offer you some really cheap upside right now. Um, and, uh, you know, that's a unit, the, the first power play unit with Gosses, Bierich, Konecki, could even you know pay up for like a Kucheri or Van Riemsdyk. That's a unit I really like for for DFS right now. They've been producing as well. And how about somebody you think maybe we should uh, pump the brakes on and try to avoid going forward here for the next week? Yeah, no, I mean, this is a pretty big call, but like I, I think I'm okay at, at you know with, with the the price that Austin Matthews is at right now. I, I'd, I'd probably be okay at sitting back and just seeing how long this this little scoreless drought lasts. We're at three games. <laughs> He's 9,200, uh, you know, on the next slate, uh, for DraftKings. He's the most expensive play. And, um, you know, you're just not, you're, you're buying at all time highs here on, on Matthews. And again, I, I, I think that he'll find some form again, but like, let's not forget. I mean, he was on a ridiculous goal scoring pace, obviously wasn't sustainable. And, and now the, the Leafs are, the offense has slowed down a bit. You know, they, they, they lost a game or, or two to the Canucks. So, um, let's see how they rebound before we buy back in on Dawson Matthews. I think there's some, some better values out there. You know, I already mentioned the Flyers. Uh, Mika Zajinabad is playing well. Another player I could have brought up there. You know, I think pumping the brakes on Matthew for a week is okay, especially with the wrist stuff. Um, I just feel like his price has gotten a little bit too inflated. You know, he's still, you know, being priced over Connor McDavid on some slates and things like that, Pasternak. That's a guy I wouldn't mind fading for at least a week and just seeing how it, uh, it all settled out. Now, I had a couple of people ask me about goaltenders when it comes to daily fantasy sports. Is there anyone uh, you would recommend? And, yeah, let's just say money's not an option. <laughs> money's not an option. I mean, <laughs> generally the, the strategy is, you know, there's two things you should be looking at with goalies. It, it's how many shots are they projected to face? You know, it, does their team allow a lot of shots on goal? Is the team they're going up against uh, a team that's prone to getting a lot of shots on the other opponent opposing that. And then there's just how big a favorite are they for the win? You know, is, is this goalie in, in really good shape for the win? Because then you're bringing in the win bonus points and the shots on goal bonus points. And obviously the goalies get points for every save they make. So, um, you know, all things considered, like Andre Vasilevsky is, is, is generally like a, a nightly target if you can get up to him. Um, and Tempo doesn't allow a, – a, they're not up there in shots on goal, but they still allow like a, a generous amount over – uh, some of the other teams in, in, in the league. And, and Vasilevsky's been in great form. You know, goals against under two, save percentage over nine, 0.935. So uh, for me, I mean, he, he is the top dog if he can get out to him. But, you know, goaltending is, is for me, a nightly thing. Um, really just looking at the matchups for goaltenders a lot, uh, that's definitely more of a matchup thing for me because you can really get um, so, some guys who are in really high upside spots. And, again, it does depend on what, what you're playing. Are you playing heads up? Do you want that safety? Do you want to pay up for a safety guy like Vasilevsky? Or do you want to take some risks on, you know, like uh, guys who are playing well and they're really cheap and, and maybe their team isn't good, and, and they're, but they're prone to facing a lot of shots, and, and they got, give you a shot at one big night. So, you know, a, a guy like um, – uh, <laughs> Hellebach on, on the Jets uh, comes to mind as well, though he's he's been priced up a little bit. But 
Um, you get my point. Goaltending is, is kind of a nightly thing where you can even look at uh, backups in good situations as well. And, uh, Jeffrey, just one final question for you. I uh, had uh, someone reach out to me, slid into the DMs on Twitter, asking, just getting into Daily Fantasy Sports, signed up with DraftKings, and as I always say, make sure you use the promo code THPN. That's the special there. Uh, just some, some beginner advice for someone just getting into it. How would you simplify Daily Fantasy Sports for them? Yeah, so, I mean, when, when you're just starting out, and, and I mean, we can use uh, NHL DFS as an example, I mean, really just familiarizing yourself with the offerings. I mean, um, I, I think that's the biggest thing. Obviously, the salary cap is, is pretty self-explanatory. 50K salary, trying to fit the players in. You're really trying to look for, you know, players who are going to produce for you at their salary. So it's not just, oh, I, I think uh, this player is, is good, and, and yeah, he's 9K, but I, I really want to get him in. It's is he going to produce like uh, a good amount of points at, for that price, right? So, um, yeah, you know, um, a, a guy like um, you know Patrick Kane might like a well over a point per game pace, but if he's the highest priced player and uh, there's a guy like Alex Ovechkin who's two k cheaper than it, he's probably going to be the better play. So you're really looking at return on your value. I think is the biggest thing. You know, not just trying to to stuff in the big scores. And, uh, and you know, on, on that note. When you're try when you're looking for guys who, who are cheaper, you know, making sure that you're playing players who are going to give you opportunities to produce points. Because so many times I see players, uh, you know, new players to daily fantasy, they, they just plug in cheap guys. Like, oh, this guy might do something. You really want to spend your time looking for cheap players who are going to be getting those kind of opportunities. You know, I, I brought up Yamamoto last week because he's still in that top six. He was really cheap, but he's still going to get you that offensive opportunity. You know, and for NHL DFS specifically, we're talking guys who can get shots on net, guys who are playing lots, and guys who can potentially get you, uh, you know, a garbage assist or something like that. Jeffrey, thank you so much for doing this again today. Really appreciate it, and uh, hopefully we can get you on again next week. Absolutely, man. Thanks a lot. Great stuff from Jeffrey Ulrich of DraftKings Nation. You can also give him a follow on Twitter at the Fantasy Grind. And that's going to wrap it up for us here on another edition of the Other Connor Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Of course, the Oilers back in action on Wednesday, taking on the Sens Friday night. The two teams meet again. And then on Saturday, the Oilers in Vancouver, the Battle of Vancouver Canucks. If you need your pregame action, make sure to tune in. To TSN 1260, an hour before the game, Tom Gazzola, Matt Cassie, and myself will have you covered. Big thank you to all of our guests again this week. Of course, Jeffrey Ulrich, who you just heard, talking a little daily fantasy sports. We also had on former member of the Edmonton Oilers, Sean Bell. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Bellsy7. Check out his company, 7hockey.com. And Tyler Uramchuk of Oilers Nation and TSN 1260, as he joined us immediately following the Oilers' 3-2 win over the Ottawa Senators on Monday night. On our next show, which will drop Friday morning, we will recap Wednesday night's game, we'll preview Friday and Saturday's games, and a whole lot more. My name is Connor Halley. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast. New shows drop every Tuesday and Friday, wherever you get your podcasts from.